0: Welcome to Life Me. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Writes Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us again today is Emily Kroll, our Education and Events Coordinator. Emily, happy Friday.
1: Finally, yes.
0: <laughs> and I had Monday off, and it's still like, Lucky oh, you. finally, yeah. Lucky you. Um, well, today we uh, we're starting off with a laugh, but we got some pretty serious topics today. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, sex trafficking. <laughs> we're going to talk about the abortion pill. Uh, but to start off, we're going to talk about Tinsley Lewis, and this is a case that has not gotten as much attention as some similar cases in the UK that kind of captured people's imagination. I'm thinking of Charlie Gard and Alfie Evans. Uh, did you follow those cases when they were happening? I did,
1: oh. I did. It was very interesting to hear about um, parents begging for their children's lives but the state not letting them seek medical treatment.
0: Yeah, it's 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 sad. And so what really unites all of these stories together is a case where a child has a uh, very rare disease, uh, where the hopes are maybe not that high, but maybe there's still a glimmer and maybe there's a chance they can take the child somewhere. Uh, In all three cases, I mean, these were were babies. Mm -hmm. I mean, these were babies, toddlers, these were young children with very serious issues. The parents wanted to take them somewhere else to get a second or third opinion for a last ditch effort, something, you know, there's a little glimmer of hope there. And instead in England, it was, you know, the national health Service is, a, is an arm of the government. Uh, in Texas, in this case, we're going to talk about a little bit Tinsley Lewis. Uh, it's a hospital and the staff believe that the child's quality of life is such that, uh, it's not worth living anymore. And so the hospitals, or the national health service in britain they take guardianship over the child so basically they steal the role of parent away in order to end the life of the child
1: yeah that's that's a good way to essentially put it it's it's shocking for a lot of people to know that this actually does happen in the united states normally we hear about it happening in europe but uh, there are laws in place in different states around the country that let people steal guardianship of a child from their parents.
0: So we don't necessarily have time to go through all the little twists and turns because these stories always have some crazy details to them. But basically, Tinsley Lewis has a heart condition uh, and it's very difficult to treat. She's gone through multiple surgeries. Uh, It it is difficult and uh, the parents are looking... For her to go somewhere, uh, Michigan is perhaps an option, and we'll see. But the hospital in Texas uh, wants to take over her care and end her life. And in a couple layers to this, but I think the first one that needs to be mentioned is a lot of people think of Texas as this wonderful state. Uh, if you're on mo- if you're one particular political persuasion. Uh, but Texas has a really terrible, futile care policy, uh, in in their state laws. And so if a hospital doesn't want to treat you, uh, basically they give you 10 days to find another hospital. If another hospital doesn't take you, then that's the end. You're gone. Um, And I know there's certain issues with, uh, you know, uh, federal mtala laws, like having to treat people. And there's a whole host of issues there. But Texas really, of all the states in the union, kind of has the worst. Everything's bigger in Texas, even the medical controversies, right? True. So I, I don't know why Texas has had such a hard time. And this issue has been something that Texas Right to Life has been dealing with for a long time. And there's a whole other layers to this too in this fight um, that I don't want to get into too much inside baseball, but I mean, Texas has had to fight with hospital systems, Christian and Catholic hospital systems who are kind of supportive of the rule um, and some real ugliness down there. And in this case, it's a, it's a little girl caught up in it and the courts in Texas have said, no, you can't take over her care and, and kill her just yet but we don't know how the situation is going to end. And if it ends, like in the case of Alfie Evans and Charlie Guard, the parents had no recourse but to be forced to watch their child die. All they wanted to do is take their child out of the hospital somewhere else and not have the hospital, and this is a key, not have the hospital bum rush you and take their lives before they have a chance. Because sometimes it's hard to convince another hospital or doctor to take on the case or to make contact with a specialist in the particular area. Um, I think in the Charlie Gard and Alfie Evans case, uh, they they both had people willing, other hospitals willing to take the child for a last ditch attempt.
1: They also had people around the world fundraising to help pay for the care the child would receive.
0: Right, but these doctors and, and nurses and hospital administrators just think that they're better off dead if you don't have this wonderful, perfect life, you know, and this attitude is just so sickeningly widespread. You know, I've gotten into. I remember in the Charlie Gard, and Alfie Evans case, getting into arguments with people I wouldn't believe. Who it's weird how you might agree with them on a lot of issues, but suddenly they just get this hard edge. And I think maybe it's because the child is involved in the situation, but they just think that child is just being abused by their parents because the parents won't let the child die, but the parents just want. You know, it's a. It's not like it's a common medical condition in these cases where everyone kind of knows the outcome. It's a very rare case where these controversies seem to be. And you know, the parents are just taking one last shot so that their two year old, you know, maybe has another two years or 20 years or 60 years rather than two days.
1: Yeah. It's also, we have to look at it too. By denying doctors the ability to try, you are saying that any child in the future, who has that condition also should be prescribed to die when doctors can make amazing medical advances on conditions we thought were impossible to treat if they're given the chance so um, it's it's a horrible decision to make not only because the child dies not only because you are forcing parents who don't want to lose their child to watch that child die but also the possibility that a child born in the future won't have access to a revolutionary treatment because the doctors or the hospital said it's not worth it.
0: That that reminds me of a case involving a Congresswoman, uh, Jamie Herrera uh, Butler, I think out of Washington, off the top of my head. And, uh, her child was in the womb and died. She didn't have kidneys. And there was no way to treat it. There was nothing previous in medical literature and everyone kept telling her abort, 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 abort. And, uh, she said, no, 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 no. Until she finally found a doctor who had this simple idea. Well, you know, the child needs kidneys to produce the amniotic fluid. Um, you know, your, your daughter doesn't have kidneys. Let's just put saline solution in there and see if that works as amniotic fluid. And it worked. And her daughter Abigail is with us today, a happy child. I'm not sure if, I think she's had, you know, obviously you have to be on dialysis uh, if you don't have kidneys to start. But uh, I think she's otherwise a normal child. I think she's had a kidney transplant by now. Um, but everyone in the, in, in the world wanted Abigail to die and thought that was the merciful thing. But if that would have happened, then they would have robbed that, this young girl of her entire life when all it was needed was just one uh, witty doctor with a a kind of a stupidly simple thing. Let's just put some fluid in there and it worked and a whole new care for this really rare condition, uh, came about if that, if that were the case, you know, and because, you know, she was in the womb is a little different uh, with her mom. And especially being a Congresswoman, you don't, you can't really force a Congress uh, person to do something you'd think that's another story, but, um, it, you know, it, if, if her daughter had not had kidneys and was just born, you know, in the similar situations, these doctors would say, nope, time to die. It's not worth living. It's, I don't know. It's sad. And I think a lot of people just are getting hooked on this idea of quality of life. Um, and, and. This weird that the society that prides itself on looking out for the downtrodden and looking out for people who aren't as privileged look at the disabled with almost this sense of disgust. And like, oh, I'm glad I'm not disabled. I mean, that that's the attitude I have to get from all these people, you know, who say, do away with these disabled people. Their lives are unworthy of life. I don't know.
1: It's an interesting... Um What's the word we'll use? Oh yeah, hypocrisy. Well, it it really is. So, it's sad, but hopefully Tinsley will find some place that she can get treatment here and that um the doctors will be able to pull off a miracle and and save this little girl's life. And we hope that not only for her, but also for her parents.
0: Yep. Yeah. And it is I think just to close it out, you know, there are situations where parents or loved ones do have difficulty of letting go. Um, and you know, we should be all be aware of that because you know death is a serious topic and some people just have, you know, are, aren't willing always to face reason, but in an ultimate conflict, if there is a chance, even a remote chance for a treatment, you know, at a, a hospital or a doctor or a, a government should not, uh, take over the role of parents because they think the best interest of a person is to die instead of live because in most cases these you know these children are otherwise living well moving on from one depressing topic to another um this isn't always a happy podcast is it no but that's okay Uh, this is a serious podcast a little a little levity to to keep us all sane in this insane world uh next we're going to talk about the abortion pill and i think we've kind of mentioned the podcast a couple times recently but it's really important that we focus on it. You know the abortion pill, I would say, is the abortion industry's biggest focus uh, for two main reasons. Um, and if you can kind of talk about the court case going on, but kind of why it's a, such an issue, the first thing is they don't want to have to deal with the surgical abortion if they don't have to. So they charge women the same amount, you know, four to five hundred bucks for a first trimester abortion. Uh, for giving her, handing her a couple pills than they do actually performing a surgical procedure on her. And that enables them to do a couple other things. They don't have to have, ideally, the doctor even there in the same room. Uh, she doesn't have to meet with the doctor. They kind of even are now making moves anyone do an ultrasound on her. Um, they just want her to just, you know, go, go to a vending machine and get a pill and, and take it. They don't have to deal with follow-up. They don't have to be responsible for the patients, really. Uh, It's a real money and time saver for them, especially because it's hard to run a medical facility cleanly, apparently, because abortion facilities just can't manage to do it. Uh, It's hard for them to find abortionists because people don't go to medical school and decide, I want to cut up human beings uh, and kill them for my career choice. Uh, Fancy that, you know. And, uh, the second main reason besides all of the financial and organizational, uh, obstacles that the abortion pill gets rid of, if we are ever successful in really banning abortion, uh, they want to be able to just ship abortion pills in the black market to anyone who wants them. And so this is actually, and, and I'm not kidding or exaggerating with this Planned Parenthood does have a game plan if abortion is ever illegal. And uh, now the main cog of that plan is the abortion pill and its availability to get around um, abortion bans. And so this is going to be a situation that we're going to have to deal with as a pro-life movement forever now since it was invented in the the 1980s. And so the recent move, Emily, is the next step that they're getting towards having them available in vending machines or by mail is eliminating the requirement that a doctor actually has to, you know, see a patient.
1: Yeah. So, um, what's kind of brought the, they're trying to get around the doctors really to the front pages uh, recently was a judge in Maryland, a federal judge who was appointed by Obama back in, I think he was a 2012 appointee, is he made an injunction against the FDA's regulations on RU486, so the abortion pill. So basically what the FDA said when they approved the abortion pill for use in the United States is they attached to it a thing called REMS. And what REMS are is basically they're just guidelines and, and procedures that doctors need to follow in order to administer the drug in a safe environment. So The rems for the abortion pill is that the woman has to be examined by a doctor and the pill needs to be taken at a medical facility. So a lot of the time it's a clinic, it's a doctor's office. Um, Hospitals don't usually give out abortions, but the hospitals that do on rare occasions, it would be done in the presence of a medical professional. And the reason they do this is because there's some really serious health risks involved with taking the abortion pill. Now, the abortion industry likes to say that it's completely safe. It's like taking a Tylenol. A Tylenol is not going to make you bleed for nine weeks. Some women have experienced bleeding up to three or four months after taking the abortion pill. Um, There's serious side effects, hemorrhaging, extended bleeding, nausea, vomiting. If there's an ectopic pregnancy that ruptures, Um, The woman could not only experience the pain of the abortion pill because it's an excruciating painful procedure that we've seen from testimonies, but um, she could die. This far um, in the last 20 years that the abortion bill has been been legal in the United States, we have 24 recorded deaths from the abortion pill. Uh, That doesn't seem like a whole lot, but... um, a lot of states don't require reporting of complications for abortions. So the numbers that we get from places that are using the abortion pill aren't accurate. They're, they're... In
0: Michigan they're laughably accurate even though we require them to report it. Laughably accurate. We've had we've had Times in Michigan where women have died from abortions and they didn't even show up in the complications report.
1: Exactly. The one, an interesting thing about the Michigan law is they're required to report or to report, but there's no penalties listed for failing to report. So if you're not being penalized for not reporting, are you going to report if you're trying to hide something? Obviously not. Um, so the the abortion pill is. Um, not the safest procedure. It's currently approved in the United States for pregnancies up to 10 weeks. Now as a pregnancy goes beyond 10 weeks the likelihood of complications and of it failing to um, kill the baby increases. So when we get past 10 weeks there's about a 5 to 7 percent chance the pill isn't even gonna abort the baby. That The baby's gonna have it's just going to survive, then the woman has to go in for a surgical abortion. So you have the pill fails, you have the complications. A study that was done in California said uh, found that a woman is four times more likely to have complications after an abortion pill than a s- surgical abortion. And by this federal judge trying to get around the FDA's requirements, which are there to protect the health and safety of women, it's a... Uh, green flag for the abortion industry to send pills in the mail without an ultrasound, without a doctor examining the patient, which really seriously puts the health of women in danger.
0: So we'll see, uh, what the court decides the excuse for all this, of course, is the pandemic and it's not safe for the women to go into the abortion facilities, even though in Michigan, they just let abortion facilities do whatever. So it's apparently it's safe or not safe, depending on, uh, whatever legal argument they need for the moment. Uh, but you can better believe it that regardless of what happens with the court case uh, during the pandemic and, and whatnot, that uh, President Joe Biden and his Food and Drug Administration is going to take that REMS right off. The abortion industry is focused on this. This is how they got the pill approved and and shuffled it through in the, in the beginning years ago when they when they want something. Their politicians that they, I don't know, buy and pay for basically, or who are just ideological warriors who are with them every step of the way—they're going to do it. Doesn't matter what the rules are, you know. Like we've talked about in the podcast, you know, it, it, Trump rescinds a pro-abortion, you know, uh, rule or policy, and it has to go to court, and it's terrible and horrible, and you violated the Administrative Procedures Act and all this garbage. But then you turn around; they're gonna zip it right away because they want to. You know they don't really care, and the court's not gonna stop that. Um, so that's the problem when your your judges are fair and the other side's judges don't don't give a rip. Um, so expect to see that. And uh, but if we get Donald Trump to win, then it'll be important that the court the courts win because you know it's putting women at risk. And, um, you know, the, the only reason the abortion industry cares is they just want to sell the pill and have more abortions. Um, it's really worth uh, noting that all of this data about abortion safety in these studies are done by abortion facilities that have a direct financial, uh, reason to do it. So keep that in mind, you know, would we regulate the tobacco industry based on studies released by Philip Morris? You know, you you wouldn't do that. People, it would instantly recognize the problem here. But because of the political layer on abortion kind of distracts people, um, then we're kind of stuck in this where they just don't have any problem with abortion facilities releasing their own, you know, data. Oh, look, it's totally safe. This woman who died, we're not even going to put her on the state report. You know, she died of something else or, you know, whatever. It's not our fault. Um, Makes one cynical.
1: A little bit. But maybe not cynical. We're just aware of the reality oh, of Oh, the there you situation. go. We're not
0: cynical. We're realistic. There
1: We're we realistic. The glass form. is
0: not half empty or half full. The glass is just too big.
1: <laughs> the glass is too big. Never heard that one before.
0: Okay. Ah, oh, that's, some, that's some George Carlin. Not exactly a pro-life or family-friendly comedian. But anyway, uh, some of you out there get that one. Well, uh, kind of moving along... Uh, kind of a related topic, you know, abortion, and the easier the abortions are, the less follow-up that abortions have, uh, the greater tool it is for sex traffickers, Emily.
1: Unfortunately, that is incredibly true. So for some of you out there who pay attention to International Awareness Days, uh, yesterday, the 30th, was the World now I have to make sure that I say it right, the World Day Against Trafficking in Persons which is a very fancy way of saying um, the UN decided that we should take one day out of all of the 365 in the year to actually focus on important issues. (laughs) Um, So human trafficking and it might seem a little strange why would we be talking about human trafficking when we're focused on uh, life rights for people and Uh, One, the main reason is the abortion industry and the sex trafficking industry are inextricably linked. Uh, We have decades worth of data and testimonies that say that um, sex traffickers use abortion and abortion clinics to facilitate their business. And I am saying business because annually, worldwide, Um, Sex trafficking, specifically, is about a $99 billion industry, um, which makes it the second largest illegal industry in the world, right behind drug trafficking. So, um, a lot of people will also say, well, we're in the United States, we don't have issues like that. That, unfortunately, is very untrue. Um, I'm just gonna throw out a couple of statistics that's gonna gonna show a little bit of how dangerous the situation is here in the United States for people who are vulnerable for sex trafficking. So every year a lot of people, you say ICE, the the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Bureau, people throw up their hands, oh no they're terrible. What people don't realize is ICE, every year they report capturing 10,000 human traffickers. So that's people from international places coming to the United States as traffickers and persons that are caught by our federal agencies. That is actually a small number of the whole. So the Department of Justice uh, a few years ago came out with an estimate for how many children, this is just children, in the United States are trafficked each year and they came up with the estimate of about 200,000. So this is a large number of people who are vulnerable for trafficking and who become trafficked persons. Um, Now, how can we prove that human trafficking and the abortion industry work hand in hand? Well, from the testimonies of people, specifically women, who have been trafficked. Uh, Earlier this year, there was a report that came out by the Beasley Institute, which is a part of Loyola University, and they went through and they processed data from sex trafficking victims so these were people who were pulled out of the sex trafficking industry and they found that eighty percent of the women that they pulled out of that they interviewed who were survivors had received health care in a professional place so hospitals clinics eighty over eighty percent of them had seen a medical professional what's a little scarier is that 65% of them had been to abortion clinics, so independent abortion clinics, and 30% of them had been specifically to planned parenthoods. So what the data is showing us is that women who are trafficked who are who get pregnant through the abuse, their pimps, their their traffickers take them to abortion facilities to remove the pregnancy to remove the evidence of the abuse, and it's not reported. It's not caught. We have undercover footage of people posing as pimps uh, with fifteen-year-olds, women posing as fifteen-year-olds, and organizing um, systems for getting their 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 charges um, abortions in several states and several Planned Parenthoods. These are all undercover videos that we have that prove that Planned Parenthood employees aiding and abetting sex traffickers or who they believe to be sex traffickers um, which is, is it's terrifying um, some some people some estimates depending on the organization says there's as many as 50,000 which I think is a low estimate so 50,000 women and e- women and girls every year so that's about the age of 18 to 25 18 to 30 are sex trafficked in the United States specifically. If 30% of those women go to a Planned Parenthood, that's 15,000 sex traffickers in Planned Parenthood's doors. But if 60% of those are going into a regular abortion facility, you have over 30,000 women, 30,000 sex trafficking victims getting abortions. And it's not reported. So, unfortunately, what what we find as we go further and further into human trafficking is that the abortion industry is a major key to the success, and I hate to say the word success, they view it as a success, but they're a major part of the infrastructure of the sex trafficking industry, mm-hmm. not only in the United States, but abroad. And so... Um, we we will continue to bring forward these statistics because abortion is not only wrong it's helping criminals to exploit vulnerable people and keep them in literal slavery
0: yep sex trafficking here and, and here and abroad uh uh sex selection abortions for women it, abortion is ironically one of the greatest tools of oppression of women everywhere. And um, of course, not only do they use it to cover up the crimes, but from a simple economic standpoint, a pregnant, pregnant woman can't be out on the streets for uh, several months there. So it's costing the, the pimp money. Yeah. And uh, we always go back to the money because that just seems to be a, a big motivator for these people. But, um, you know, the sex trafficking is not going away anytime soon. So abortion facilities are not going to go any time away anytime soon. Soon, if, uh, if we ban it, then they'll still be out there. But uh, they'll always be on us to make sure that they are not victimizing women. Because, again, abortion is perhaps the greatest tool of victimization of women in the world today. It's hard for people to think about it that way, but it's true. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition of LifeBeat. Go on Tuesday, August 4, vote, vote pro-life. If you don't know who the pro life candidates are, go to our website, rtl.org. You can download a list of all of the RLM pack Doors candidates, and then you're all set. We'll see you later.